It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm Luca Capone, filling in today for the great David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country on the Radio Player Canada app. Later in the show, we're going to be catching up with our friend, the legendary Tom Jackson, founder of the annual Huron Carol Christmas Concert Series. But first, we travel across the cosmos through alternate dimensions, antimatter universes, by way of the blue area of the moon before reaching the red planet to chat with the director of Indigipop X, CEO, founder, and head indigenerd of Native Realities, part of a long line of Laguna Pueblo literary royalty and owner of Red Planet Books and Comics in beautiful Albuquerque, New Mexico, the Stan Lee of Native Comics, Dr. Lee Francis IV. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for having me. What a wonderful intro that just, uh, you know, I have, to, I have to live up to that now in this interview. So <laughs> I, gotta get my, I gotta get my game on, this is great. <laughs> uh, yeah, very excited to chat. I'm a, a big comic book nerd myself uh, and just kind of diving back and, and learning about um, just, just everything that you get excited about, everything that you're so passionate about. It just reinvigorates me even more to dive ahead strong into the world of comics and also specifically um, being released uh, for Native American History Month. Um, Marvel uh, Comics mm-hmm. has announced uh, Marvel Voices Indigenous Voices number yep. one. Yep, we got to learn about this. This is such a phenomenal, um, such a phenomenal project. I'd love to learn how you connected with it, the folks sure. who are working on it. Yeah, so I, I think our end for it uh, was really to serve as a facilitator and a bookseller, right? Um, because one of the things that that we know about any of this work is that there are so many incredible native and indigenous and first nations creators um you know that that are they're doing stuff out there but it's got to get out there right so I mean, this is really great you know marvel you know kind of jumping into this finally recognizing that you know hey look there's there's native illustrators and native creators we're like yeah we've been here for a while it's great so welcome to the party we're so glad to have you um, so bringing them into that and Marvel, you know, kind of pushing that forward um, and our role, you know, in connecting with Marvel is to being the indigenous bookseller, right? I think we've sold, we pretty much sold out of all of our pre-sale copies. We don't know how many they're going to roll again. And that was something upward of 200 to 250 copies that came out of our shop alone. Wow. So, um, which is, and for a small shop like us, that's pretty impressive. Like we're not, you know, we're not a major, we're not Barnes and Noble. You know, we're not like some some major book company. So, you know, that was actually and, and we have a, a Southwest reach. Um, so that was pretty impressive. Uh, Marvel reached out to me also to kind of connect up with um, with other indigenous creatives and illustrators, because I think they have a long range plan of being able to put more of these books into the field. But it is going to depend on people buying the books. Right. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line. So that's been the big effort on, on my end uh, as, you know, for, for a personal reason, for a business entrepreneur reason, I was like selling comic books is what I do. Um, so 
but that was, you know, the personal and I guess the, you know, the, the mission of the store is to try and get these voices out there in the world um, so that there is a number two. Uh, so there is, there is a, you know, Indigenous Voices number two, or there are, you know, um, the, the characters get picked up for their own one shot, you know, illustrated by an Indigenous creator, written by an Indigenous creator. Um, so that's really the role that we had, and that's how we connected up with Marvel on our end. That's unbelievable. Um, you've worked with so many um, amazing folks uh, on this um, release. Jeffrey uh, Varighi, Rebecca Roanhorse, Washoyo uh, Alvitre. Um, you guys have collaborated on a bunch of interesting stuff. Uh, well, yeah. specifically, I'd love to hear a lot about uh, Ghost River. Yeah, absolutely. So Ghost River came about. So I have known uh, Washoyo for oh, I want to say five or six years, right at the beginning when we first started uh, the, the, the original company before we moved into Red Planet was Native Realities. And we still have that as our, as our imprint for producing comics, um, games, toys, collectibles. That's, that's, our, that's our creative side. Um, Red Planet became the business side because that's our distribution side. That's how we get all the creativity out in the world. I met her when we first started with uh, Native Realities. I had seen something of hers online, I think, through Facebook, where she was doing some game design work. Um, I've tried to think back to like when our, I mean, I have to go back to my email for our first, you know, our first contact and whatever, but uh, she was doing some game design work. So I'd asked if she wanted to do just some small gig uh, of a game that we were working on for some prototype art. And, um, and, you know, and then I was like, hey, would you want to do a little, you know, like uh, do some, just an illustration for our first indigenous Comic-Con poster. So, uh, you know, so slowly I built this relationship with her and then I pitched her uh, Six Killer, which is the comic book that I, I write my character and creation. And I was just like, hey, I'd, I'd love it if you would illustrate this. And she's like, let me take a read. And she came back and she's like, I think it's great. I'd love to work with you on this, you know, and and she's such a consummate professional. I, I really appreciate that she wasn't just like jumping in immediately. She's like, let me let me look at the script first. And I was like, oh, OK. So I, you know, I set that on and. <laughs> And so we started working together. And so this product project came out, Ghost River, um, out of the library company out of Philadelphia. And the editor that works on that, Will Fenton, um, had contacted me and was like, hey, we want to do this right. Um, you know, he's, he's non-native and he's like, we want to do this right. Uh, and we want to work with you as a publisher. And we want to come out to, and I want to come out to the Indigenous Comic Con to meet you and to potentially interview some illustrators and to, to see native illustrators. We want this to be a native project top to bottom. So I was like, okay, cool, man. You know, I always tell the story. I was like, dude, I get, I get emails like that all the time. So I'm just like, oh, let's see if he puts his money where his mouth is. And lo and behold, he shows up and, uh, you know, he connects with show you, I think was on his short list, uh, connected up with her, uh, was like, listen, I, you know, she went, when he pitched the project to her, uh, she was down. Uh, and when he talked with me, I was like, listen, I'll throw my hat in because it sounds so good. I would love to write for this. I mean, if you, if you need a writer. And so Wichelia was just like, I'll work with Lee again. And I was like, yes, That's awesome. so that was really great. Uh, she, you know, she, she, she gave me the little bump that was necessary, which was awesome. Um, and so we began working on this project, um, Ghost River, the fall and rise of the Conestoga. Um, it's about the 1763 massacre of the Conestoga people in eastern Pennsylvania, just outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They were essentially the last of their name, although their kin and, and you know, their kinships and their ancestors, a lot of them had already moved, you know, into other folks and so were absorbed. So those, you know, that those ancestors are still there. Uh, but that particular, the Susquehannock people, 
essentially just stopped existing after this massacre, um, where they, uh, a group of frontiersmen um, from the frontier, which was at that time Western Pennsylvania, uh, decided that they would, uh, you know, and were goaded into a cowardly uh, act of murder against Native folks that were just living and doing their own thing. Um, they were just impoverished. They killed uh, about a half a dozen of them um, to start with uh, December 14th, if I recall correctly. It's been a while since I've written it. And then finished the job on December 27th, uh, two weeks later at the Lancaster workhouse where the remaining Conestoga people had been taken for their safety. Um, and that was, that was the, 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 the culmination of the tragedy. Although there are no other historical things that happened subsequently, the Moravian Lenape were taken into Philadelphia. The Quakers armed themselves to protect them. And it became a whole thing. It was the early prototype of Twitter where they were just sending these pamphlets back and forth and the murderers got to talk about why they were so aggrieved and, and why they became murderous and, Ben Franklin tried to, and there was all of this like fallout, but for me and Washoyo and what Will Fenton, Dr. Fenton wanted to do was to tell the story of the native folks, the voice that is often missing mm -hmm. um, in American history. And that became our central and prime goal was to give these, these, these folks that were, you know, these ancestors um, that didn't have a voice at the time. They were, they were used as, as props in this larger uh, you know, uh, American conflict. And so we felt it was important that we honored them and brought their story to light. Um, and, uh, and I got the chance to work with Wushoyo again, and it was amazing. And it was such an amazing experience. I, I can think of nothing more than like, I, I would want to do that experience all the time. It was, it was incredible. Big shout outs to Wushoyo. She is such a boss. Uh, just... I mean, for real. Like even the um, work on Six Killer is like amazing. Yes, that's my that's my constant. I'm just like, God, you're so good. Yeah, I just can't, and I'm so good. like I'm always just like, oh, you worked with me. Oh, <laughs> that's so cool. You know, like that's dude. Awesome. I think she's saying the same thing well, about I, you. I, I I don't know about that. I think we have a really good you know connection uh to connection to each other. So. Uh, you know, but uh, she's she's amazing. I I've got nothing but praise for her and her work. It's just the dynamic. I love it. Um, you talk about um, voices that are missing, voices that need to be, and stories that need to be amplified. Um, Marvel's Indigenous Voice is obviously uh, connecting with a lot of unbelievable uh, Indigenous uh, artists and writers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I I'd love to you know kind of daydream and not even so much daydream, but think about like how an anthology like this can open the door uh, for the indigenous community to almost have a black Panther moment in the world of comic media. Yeah. And I'm curious, is there a possible character or characters out there that could have that similar effect, whether it's a John Z, the sheep tribal force, uh, arrogant star, super Indian, who also edited the great arrogant star also, but it tells of the mighty co-talkers, which yep. is an, another amazing story. Yeah. Um, I think there's, I, I mean, I think there's, there's so much potential and so much incredible world building that has yet to be done. I think what Marvel has done is put something into play where, you know, well, where I, I hope to see two things. One, 
so many native creatives have already been producing work, right? Like from us to Aragon to independent producers, you know, that, that are out there that have been, you know, native folks that have been doing this work already. What I think it does is it gives the spotlight to not only, I mean, like we run a bookstore, but there's so many other native bookstores around up, up, you know, up North, there's like eight, you know, there's like four here in the United States. I'm like, it's, like seeing that gives us a spotlight because now we have like Marvel. It's, it's sad, but it's almost like we needed the validation in the comic book industry from Marvel itself. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so from the, the, the big house, um, I don't feel that, that, that was necessary, but I feel that it turns the populace in this direction. And I think it, it is a, you know, it, it, it looks at bringing more voices in, um, more of these creators, man, I'm getting just truckloads of email, like maybe not truckloads, but I've gotten several emails from native creatives lately, like native creators, these kids and young people and old, you know, adults and folks that have a comic book. And they're like, I've been working on a comic book. And I was like, that's so great. Let's talk about it. Let's see what we can do with this. Right. And, and so I think it's, it's pulling folks and native and indigenous folks to be able to do more of that work, which to me is exactly what we need. I mean, I like to talk about it as like, well, we were the only. And I was like, I want to get to the point where I say we were the first. I don't want to say the only anymore, right? I want to, I want to see other Native-focused comic book shops around the world. I want to see more Native bookstores. I want to see more of this kind of work. So for me, I think that's the one side. The second side is I think it starts to push the industry in a direction of being able to get – I think that the long-lasting change that's going to be necessary – is going to see when we start to get into executive positions. Native folks, we all have, we've always had the creativity. And oftentimes our creativity has been exploited in numerous ways, right? Uh, to, to, for, for, the, for the industry to, to continue to work. Well, now we have this groundswell. And so for me, the big push that I've been making is, okay, that's great. You, we've always had the creatives. Now we need the executives. Now I want to see Native folks on boards of directors. Now I want to see Native folks in executive editorial positions to make sure that this work continues. And I think that is where we finally got our foot in the door. When it's recognized by Marvel, when it's recognized by these folks, the next step has to be this part. And that's what I'm going to push really hard on. I love it. You're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Luca Capone here filling in for the dynamic David Moses. I'm chatting with Dr. Lee Francis, the fourth, also known as MC Cuatro. Oh, my. Going way back. That's I love hilarious. that name. My, my students gave me that uh, moniker when I was teaching at, a, out at Laguna Acoma High School. So because it was Lee Francis, the fourth, so I, I became MC Cuatro. It's hilarious. That's the uh, that, coolest that's nice. name you ever. Went the, you went to the Wayback Machine. I like that. That's I love it. Awesome. All, I'm all about the Wayback Machine. I love those stories. Fantastic. I do want to uh, just ask, just just because you've been like obviously Marvel's Indigenous Voices is going to be really pumping up a lot of amazing Indigenous creators within the comic book universe. Um, outside of the folks who were on connected with this release. Who else deserves the love? The, the comic book creators, the artists, the characters themselves. Please, I'd love to hear some uh, shout outs. My goodness. There are so many folks that are out there. I, I'll, I'll do a small list. You already mentioned Arrogant Star. Uh, absolutely a, a just a dominant. Uh, she runs, you know, Super Indian. She has done comics across the board for the last decade. In fact, a lot of the work that I do builds on her work. We met t- 10 years ago. 
uh, and started chatting about how we could do, you know, comic books and what we would need to do comic books. And we create some logos and stuff. So, you know, she is such a, uh, I mean, everybody needs to check out her work. It is in so many locations. Uh, you know, she's got some stuff in Moonshot. She's got some stuff in, you know, her own stuff. Um, she's, she's an award-winning playwright, a, a NAMI award-winning musician. I'm like, if you look at a trifecta of anybody that can do it all, it's her. Um, you mentioned Tribal Force, John Proudstar, Will of Jonesy, uh, John Nelson. You can look at uh, Keith So, who does uh, The Heroes. You look at the work by Dale DeForest. Uh, he's one of our favorite guys to work with. Um, he does uh, Hero Twins. He also has uh, Pow Wow Thief. Um, you know, he's got kids books and stuff coming out. He's an incredible illustrator. Maria Wolf is another one that we work with. Um, she has done a lot of work with us. Uh, I can't say enough about the amazing Elizabeth LaPonce and her work in, in games um, and illustration and comic book. She's another one of those mad, and I mean like, you know, like just like, she's just a genius. I don't even know. I, I stand in awe. I feel like I'm always like, she's like, well, I'm running this and I've made a game and I put a comic book out and I've got this and here's my kid. And I was just like, how do you, I, I feel inadequate, uh, you know, and I, I was like, I run a bookstore. So um, God, there's so many more that I, I feel like I'm, I'm obviously forgetting when people hear this, they'll be like, why did you mention me? And I'll be like, I will, I promise I'll put it online. Um, Lee, you know, what's going on? Off, exactly. <laughs> trying to do this off the top of my head. Uh, you know, Darcy Little Badger and the work that she's been doing, um, both in, you know, her, her new fiction book, she, she wrote for Strangelands, um, the comic book. So like, there's just so much that's happening. There's so many, and there's so many names that I don't even know yet of people that are coming out and starting to do work, um, you know, that, that I find to be absolutely um, incredible. Uh, you know, I think that's the part that just makes it so, um, uh, you know, so exciting, uh, you know, that, that we're almost standing on this precipice and everybody's working. I should mention Elijah Forbes um, and the work that a lot of like, you know, you're seeing, um, you know, more, more native comic artists in like Two Spirit and, you know, LGBTQ plus and like a lot of, a lot of folks that are like wanting to tell their stories. And I think that's the part visually being able to tell these stories uh, of superheroes, of personal communities, of, you know, uh, of, of everything across the board. That's why I'm just so excited. And, and as I say, my favorite part is like, I like writing. I love doing the creative stuff, but I'm a bookseller and that's the best part. I get to, I get to make sure this, all this great work of all these incredible folks get to be in the hands of, of native communities and non-native communities alike. As a bookseller, as a book lover, as a writer, as a comic book lover, I'm interested to learn just kind of two stories and the importance of stores like Duran's Central Pharmacy and uh, is that the uh, bookstore in Austin, Texas? Cool. Uh, yeah, so Duran Central Pharmacy is located on Central Avenue. When I was a kid, um, it's, you know, it's a pharmacy and a restaurant. And when I was a kid, I'd go there with my dad to eat. Um, you know, I mean, my dad worked for the feds and he worked for university systems. So I kind of grew up on both coasts and, and spent a little time here, you know, growing up here in Albuquerque and always coming back in the summers to be with my grandma out of Laguna. But uh, we go down to we go down to Duran's and they had an old spinner rack, and the spinner rack was where I used to get my comics. And my dad never had an issue with like me reading comics. I know there was a lot of people who were like, oh, comics are bad. And I was like, my dad just liked the fact that I was reading. My dad was also a huge indigenous, loved science fiction, uh, fantasy. So that was like his that science fiction was really his bag. 
And so I'd go down there to Duran's and I'd get to page through and I'd pull, you know, I'd pull one or two comics and I got at the time, I think they were what a quarter, you know? Uh, and so I'd, I'd pay my quarter and I'd get my comic and I'd have that for the week or however long it would be until we went back to the restaurant and, you know, and went back to the pharmacy and it helped my grandparents lived up like right across the street. So I could just walk, walk on over. But yeah, so that, that's kind of an origin story. That's where the, the my comics come from. My, my love of comics, one of my earliest memories. And then uh, the bookstore in Austin, Resistencia, I used to do, uh, when I was living in Austin, doing my PhD, we go there all the time. I had some readings there. They uh, are just a great, uh, you know, indigenous, indigenous bookstore. And, um, you know, the, the, the owners and the folks that run it are carrying on a long tradition. It's been, the, the bookstore has been around for quite some time. And, uh, you know, and I think that was an inspiration to me of seeing that, that it could be done um, when, when we got started. So, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of the origin pieces right there. I do have a pretty controversial question. Um, This is one that will tingle a lot of heartstrings. Whenever I read about it, I gotta, I gotta know, I have to learn. And the fact that I'm chatting with someone from Albuquerque is huge. So for you, green or red chili? Oh my goodness. Uh, All right. Listen, Here's the thing. I'm always going to, I'm going to split the difference because that's what we do here. I'm going to say Christmas, right? But uh, I lean, it, 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 for me, it changes by season. And I don't mean to like bail on this question, but it really kind of moves <laughs> back and forth. Right now, uh, I'm very green oriented. Um, but once I start to like up until right through the fall, once I get into the winter time, it's really, I get very red oriented because when I grew up, that was what we, we, I mean, we were very red. We were very red chili in my family, right? Well, oh God, it's so crazy because we really weren't. We had both. My great grandma used to like taking the raw roasted chilies and just putting them on bread, like old style Pueblo style, right? Like oh. she just take the raw roasted chilies and she just spread them on the bread and then she just eat it like that. My grandfather loved, ate red chili. It was, it was just red all the time. And as we head into the Christmas season, uh, it, my grandma would always make, she'd make, you know, tortas and she'd make, you know, red chili pozole and stuff coming into like the holiday season. So, so my memories are very red bound um, in that I don't make it as good. Uh, we got a great little place. We got a, a place across the street, Hurricanes, that has just some really great green chili. So we're very we're green oriented right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'll bail on the question. I'll just say I'm Christmas. Uh, it just depends on, on, on my time of the year. And I guess the dish as well, right? And the dish as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you know, like even when you mix it, it's still good, you know. Um, so, you know, we'll get that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, we'll, we'll get that as, we'll give that as the, as the, the, the general answer. There we go. Oh my God. I, as soon as this whole thing is done, I'm heading down to New Mexico because uh, just everything about that state ticks all the boxes for me when it comes to things that I'm super, super interested, whether it's food or music, geography, culture, history. It's, uh, yeah, it's so fantastic. You are listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, chatting with the great Dr. Lee Francis IV. Um, I do, obviously, I'm a big comic guy. I'm a big food guy. And I have another question that goes deep okay. into my heart. Uh, it's a, it's a two pronger. Um, okay. Who holds the greater place in your soul, the Albuquerque isotopes or the Washington nationals. And I, you know, I, I, 
if you're cool talking about it, I'd love to learn the story about the relationship uh, at times Oof. powerful and difficult with your first favorite team, the Atlanta Braves. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll say, you know, uh, uh, obviously I'm a hometown boy, so I'm going to say the Isotopes. Uh, that's what I do every year on my birthday. Uh, I go out and see the Isotopes play. Uh, like this last year, uh, prior to the shutdown, prior to all the pandemic stuff. So I guess not 2019. I got they had a they had a weekend homestand, and I just I got to spend all like that was my birthday present for my wife and 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 for me. I was just like we just went to we went to all three games, and I just had a blast. I love that park. I love the lab. Um, so yeah, I would say the Topes. I've been to the Nationals Park. That's that's my major league team. Uh, I've been there a couple of times. Uh, I love them so much. They're fantastic. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, it's an interesting story because uh, growing up, um, like many Native folks and young folks, um, we gravitate towards the images that represent ourselves in pop culture when there are no other images to represent ourselves positively. So I was a fan of the Washington football team, uh, you know, in D.C. I was a fan of the Atlanta uh, Braves, uh, you know, as, as, the, as, as the baseball team. Um, and I was a fan for a while. Like I was a fan all through the eighties and the nineties back when they, when they were super terrible in the eighties. So I wasn't like a band, you know, a bandwagon fan, um, you know, followed them through all their losses and their one world series win. Um, and then getting into the two thousands. And as I, as I kind of reached a particular consciousness, recognizing what, uh, you know, and it was really coming out of my undergrad was recognizing really what. The issues were uh, not only with the mascot, but with the name and other mascots and the ways that mascots, um, the way that Native people were portrayed and, and how we gravitate towards those images as points of pride, as these identity markers, but recognizing that they are also uh, detrimental, they're debilitative in terms of that identity because it's caricature of Indigenous identity. And, and that's something that we, you know, we're kind of in this constant pushback and flux. Um, so I think that that's, you know, so, so, so I was starting to sort of, you know, I was like, I don't think I can follow this team anymore. I don't think I can follow this team anymore. And lo and behold, uh, the Montreal Expos move and they moved to Washington, D.C. And now I got a new team. And it's great because I, you know, I, my dad worked for the feds. So I grew up outside of D.C. and I'm a Caps fan, so I followed, Ugh. you know, I, was, uh, I like I like hockey, so I was, you know, as a Caps, sorry, sorry. No, I, you know what, I, I got love towards the Caps. I think any neutral hockey fan is a big Ovi fan. It's impossible yep. not to. But as a exactly. Leafs fan, as a Leafs of fan, course. I'm just, you know, all I got is just Listen, sourness and saltiness No, you got to feel it. Of course, you got to be, absolutely. And that's, that's the <laughs> fandom. But, you know, I mean, that's the part where I was like, man, we were terrible for so long. So it's, you know, it's that time and, you know, and and we're back. So that's great. You know, we're kind of hanging in there, but, um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, so, so when the Nats moved or when the Nats came to town, that, that became my team Uh, right now, I'm wearing my Nationals hat. Um, So like last year was so great, you know, uh, I, I couldn't even like, you know, people asked me, I was like, Oh, did you watch that? I was like, I could not watch the games because they're so nerve wracking because I, I, I felt like I was the, 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 the albatross. Yeah. Time I turned on the game, they they would lose, and so I was like, "Oh, I can't even watch it." So like, game seven comes around, and I I I like went to bed. Like I I I knew when the game started, I knew when it ended, uh, or roughly when it was going to end, and I was like, "I'm just I can't because 
I'm, I'm going to be the cause. If I turn it on, they're going to lose because of me. It's, you know, it's your, it's your standard fandom, like, yeah. concept, right? Like, obviously that's not the case, but I was just like, I've been, I've, I've been, you know, in many ways, like numerous fans, I've been heartbroken so many times, you know? And it was just like, and I knew it was because I tuned in. So I was just like, I can't. And I woke up at 4.30 that morning and I pulled my phone out and I literally was, I was so, and I, like my wife's asleep and I was just like, I could not, I was like, I can't <laughs> shout. And I would say the whole day was just so wonderful. I was like tearing up the whole day long. I was like, cool. Uh, we won one in my lifetime. I was like, they can go back to being the worst team. And they kind of were this year, uh, you know, uh, but I'm just like, that's fine. We won the one in my lifetime. So that's all I need. I'm great. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's like, I, I agree with you. It's like, okay, what did I do wrong? Not the team. Right. Like, team. okay, what did, did I eat this? Yep. Or did, like, was I wearing these shorts? It's so, it's so like. You're like, oh was, my goodness. Oh, this, it was turned slightly to the left. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> that's why they lost. Yeah, that's why. I was just like, as a fan, it's just, you know, you have these irrational fandoms. And it's just like, my gosh, you know, and these, these, these things. And I think they're also rational, right? Like your, your logical mind says, that's not how this works. Your irrational mind is just like, of course it works. Shut up, rational mind. Uh, you know. <laughs> we mentioned, yeah. or, or you mentioned a, a character who I've been reading about. And for me, I would love to see a movie based on Six Killer. And yeah. Uh, I've, I've also just kind of been reading a lot more um, Moon Knight recently, and just mm-hmm. the just even the the certain para- parallel of, of both of these characters having you know mental health uh, issues, um, though obviously totally different characters. But Six Killer is such an interesting story, and for me, it's just like this would be so riveting, so phenomenal on a big screen. Can you can you enlighten the folks about the story of Six Killer? So Six Killer, the short version is Alice in Wonderland meets Kill Bill set in Cherokee country. Um, it's the story of Alice Six Killer seeking revenge for the murder of her sister. I wrote the story. The, the story originally started because I like doing analogs, right? I feel like, you know, I mean, we need an Alice in Wonderland analog. We need a, you know, we need these, these, I was like, what's, what is, what does Alice in Wonderland look like when it's in native country? What is, you know, what, what, what if we retold, you know, X story? What if we did these types of things, right? So I, I felt like that would be, you know, a, a place to start. So I started thinking about, well, where would this, where does this fit? And how does the, you know, how does the, the allegory, you know, where, where are the parallels? And uh, found, you know, some really cool things that we could do, you know, within Cherokee country. I'm not Cherokee, but I got uh, a really great uh, uh, advisor, uh, Roy Boney Jr., um, to kind of help me think through a lot of this stuff. And, you know, we were pitching ideas back and forth. And, and then right around the time that I was thinking about putting it through, the Violence Against Women Act was renewed. And the original version of that here in the States um, missed, uh, like, it didn't include Native women. It didn't include, you know, the, the, the Native women in that. They, they've subsequently fixed it, kind of. But I was so incensed. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to write this into the story. I'm going to write this now as a story that deals around Alice in Wonderland and, you know, mental issues or gifts, you know, often as we refer them into, you know, into our communities um, and, and a young woman that's seeking revenge because I was like, yeah, we need that kind of story for a particular type of catharsis, right? Her sister has been murdered. Justice is not coming to her sister. So she's going to take matters into her own hands. We need a badass that's going to go out there and, 
you know, and, 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 and show, you know, show them that you, you shouldn't be messing with like native women. Right. So that's what I wanted to write. And so worked on developing this script and kind of putting things together. Didn't quite know where it was going to go. Aligning it with Alice in Wonderland. I think that's a, a key component and building in magical realism, trying to stay away from things like sucker punch where it's like, like reality is going on, but it's not. I was like, no, I want to tell her story. This is from her perspective. And we're going to have to add, have to add some extra characters. And so there's going to be some other stories that are taking place, um, you know, in the subsequent issues, which we're working on issue two right now. Um, it should hopefully be out in the spring um, uh, with Wichelio back uh, doing her amazing art. And we actually have been developing out some, some film and television types of scripts. So Ooh. hopefully it will go somewhere. Uh, we got a big, you know, there's a big broad view of it. Hopefully it'll, it'll become something. I don't know what that's going to be, but, you know, um, I love the story. I love the character. Um, I think writing, for me, writing more Native women um, into these spaces is absolutely critical and essential. Uh, because a lot of the, because of all, a lot of the damage that's been done to Native women through popular culture. So, I mean, going back as far as Ghost River, there's, you know, these, these old images um, that were in the newspapers of Native women essentially being whores, uh, you know, and enticing the Quakers uh, to do their bidding and to, you know, to, 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 uh, to be traitors to the American ideals, right? And, and, and that goes back to the 1760s, right? And so, there is a direct line to missing murdered indigenous women today uh, because of the way that they're portrayed in popular culture. So for me, writing native women in, supporting native women as artists, trying to get more of that work out there, uh, you know, of native women, you know, of our two spirit communities also, also included in that, right? The more invisible voices that we can, we can project and put into the, into play. Um, you know, the, the more I try to do that. Um, sometimes it's not my story to tell, so that's why I try to, you know, but Six Killer, I think, you know, I got with Show You, I was like, uh, do I sound like an idiot? Uh, and she's like, no, this is good. And I was like, okay, good. So, you know, um, you know, because I am writing a, a Native woman. So I think it's important that I have a Native woman making sure to bet me that I'm writing it correctly. That's amazing. I love it. I, I, uh, I'm really looking forward to what's going down. Is there anything we can maybe, any kind of teasy kind of news that we can maybe uh premiere out here for the folks or is everything just kind of still uh, uh we've got stuff? a few things that we're coming out with for next year we're working on a, a new game uh we just finished a cool kids matching game called indigimatch cool. for the little littles um so it's you know it's it's u.s native uh like heroes we're hoping to expand but we just got the first done that that way we had a really we had a successful kickstarter um, and, uh, that should be getting out here this next month. We're a little bit behind, um, just because of printing issues and some various other things, but you know, it's, 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 it's we're, we'll have that out. Um, working now on creating a, uh, a new game called Trickster Dice, um, which is, uh, kind of like these, there's these story dice that you can use, but it's a, a way that you can work with young people to tell trickster stories. Um, and so you roll these dice and then you kind of move them around and you tell the story based on, so, so creating new trickster stories, right, um, for our communities, which is, you know, what we would, what we would do. Uh, we've got, um, you know, some, we, we're working right now on building out a, a version of Electric Chaco, which is, uh, which is kind of a, a, a Pueblo futurism story, um, trying to build that into a role-playing game. Uh, so that's going to be one of our big things for next year. And then Six Killer Two coming out. We got a few other things on deck. The Indigenous Comic Con is coming back. Uh, we'll be going to be digital in March, I think. And then we're looking at 
coming back in the fall, hopefully all this has gone away and we can all get to see each other again. And we'd sure. like to be one of those first events uh, that everybody comes back to and we all get to see, you know, we all get to hang out. So, so that's pretty much the stuff that we've got on the horizon. Um, you know, with Red Planet, our big push is really around, uh, we've got a new subscription box that we're building. Um, and then we've got uh, a new, uh, for some locals, but if you want to order comics through us, we'll do subscription services for you through our new Red Planet Rebellion. Um, so you can come join the rebellion and, uh, and get your, 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 your pull list taken care of, uh, from a native, a native, uh, comic book company. Um, so that's, that's the big stuff that we've got, you know, right now. And, and then the big pushes buy local, you know, buy indigenous, buy something else as we've joked down here, right. Buy something else buy indigenous, um, you know, support these businesses. So we're making a big push for that to make sure that like, Hey guys, you know, it's, it's tough times and it's struggling and we want to make sure that our work goes back to getting work out to native creatives. Um, you know, that's, that's what we put our profits back into. We're not, we're not, we're not ringing and running on this. This is, this is a way to continue to, to, to be able to provide for our communities. Um, so that's what we try to do. You're listening to Moment of Truth. Luca Capone here filling in for David Moses chatting with Lee Francis. Uh, Lee, um, I'd love to just hear as many shout outs uh, for what's going on. I guess we have, but just, I guess, more information. Where can folks find more information on Red Planet books and comics and Digipop and Native Realities? You can check us out at redplanetbooksandcomics.com. You can check us out on Instagram. I think it's Red Planet Books. Uh, you can check my Twitter feed, uh, Lee Francis 4 on my Instagram, Pueblo Jones, and then anywhere on Facebook, uh, you know, any of those titles, you'll find us. We're, we're kind of the only ones in the business right now. Um, so you can find us on any of those places with Indigenous Pop X, Indigenous Comic Con, uh, Red Planet Books and Comics, and Native Realities. Thank you so much, my friend. My goodness. Thank you so much for having me. This is just, it's been a great time. I love talking about all things, uh, books, comics, sports, and everything in between. So thank you so much. And folks out there, check out Marvel Voices, Indigenous Voices, Volume 1. Thank you so much, Lee. You are listening to Moment of Truth uh, on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Uh, Stay tuned. We have Tom Jackson coming up. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element, Element, Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm Luca Capone filling in today for the great David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country on the Radio Player Canada app. Coming up, um, we're going to be chatting with one of the greats, actor, musician, humanitarian, speaker, activist, and an officer of the Order of Canada. It's legendary seasonal variety show and fundraiser, the Huron Carol, 33rd season. It's obviously going to be a little different this year. It's uh, an unbelievable initiative supporting local food banks and other social service agencies nationwide. We are chatting uh, with someone who was not the legendary Denver Broncos linebacker. But he's recorded over 13 albums. Uh, He's appeared on the shows uh, Sesame Street, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Outlander, Cardinal, helped create the Longhouse Tales, was a classic with the uh, famous Canadian series North of 60, uh, nominated Gemini Award actor, uh, noted uh, stage performer, catalyst behind the Dreamcatcher tour, 
Um, very honored to have the privilege today to chat with the essential Tom Jackson. Tom, how are you? I am awesome and then some. Uh, I, I don't know why you are not on every single radio station in the country doing the morning show because you have the greatest voice ever. It's going to fly. This whole interview is just going to be me geeking out over everything. (laughs) That's very fun. I I am so flattered. One of my favorite things of all time was doing radio. You know, and I'll tell you why Mm -hmm. I realized that radio didn't have any color. When I started doing radio, I realized you could paint a picture in someone's mind and it was in your control, you know, up to you, the responsibility um, to what kind of messaging that one would put out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could, you know, you could, I know you could get, come into the studio in the morning, set up a cot and a microphone under the desk and do your whole show from there. And nobody would know. Oh, that's a classic move. The cot <laughs> under the desk, classic Seinfeld move. Um, well, I, you know what? If we're going to go back into the radio days, I got to do a shout out to CBW 990 AM, the Tom Jackson show, a place where young native people can enjoy the music they want to listen to and simply be themselves Saturdays at 103 PM, right after our native land, CBC radio in Manitoba, 990 in Winnipeg and on repeater stations throughout Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario. Can we get into that? Cause that is just so fascinating. That show, um, just what it meant at that time. Yeah, your, your experiences. I would go, again into the show, and I'd go, uh, good afternoon, my name is Tom Jackson. You're listening to 94.3 on your FM dial. And we would talk with communities and link communities together through this show. So I'd have, not unlike you, I'd have items that would come in from various parts of the province in Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario. And um, we would tell stories. We'd find stories. People. I had a small team that would research uh, stories, and we would link those stories into um, the theme of the show. And how, how did you connect with uh, the CBC back then? I was once at a party in a basement, and I had three songs on my repertoire. That was it. And there was a guy there. His name was Isaac Bolio, and he did a public access show. Uh, and he asked me if I'd come on and sing one of my tunes. Well, I thought I'd hit the big time. Me on the radio? A song? Sure. And I went and I did the interview just like this one. And the director came out and spoke to me afterwards. He said, you ever think about doing radio? And I went, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and then I, I put my guitar in my case and I went back, you know, downstairs, walked out. It was 34 below downtown Winnipeg, Portage in Maine. And I walked about a block and a half and I went back. And I said, what do you mean by that? Ultimately, um, I was a substitute and I got a call from the CBC and they said, we'd like to talk to you. And uh, they offered me a radio show. And it changed my life. And then years later, they were putting in a loop up north. And um, they needed a host for a morning show. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine me, a musician, a pool player, a guy who stays up late at night 
doing a show at six o'clock in the morning. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I can't imagine it. And the whole show, would you be spinning jams and then offering pool tips? Because you were a serious pool player back in the day. Now, it depends on who you played. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, okay, so let's get into it. Uh, again, here on Carol, uh, just like a Canadian institution, um, please enlighten enlighten us about what's going down. Um, just just basically what the Huron Carol stands for, how it came to be, and how it's going to be a little different this year. The wonderful project known as the Huron Carol came about thirty three years ago in the heart of downtown Toronto. There's an organization called Council Fire, and I won't bore you with how I got to this situation, but I was in council fire because I needed to help. I had a need. It became my oxygen. Um, and I was an addict. And I went from being addicted to drugs to addicted to love. And I needed oxygen. And helping others became my oxygen. And council fire had a shortage of hampers the year before. This was in the early days of food banks. And they had a shortage of hampers the year before. And there was a woman there. Her name is Millie Redman. She was the head of the organization. She said, can you help us with hampers? We need 500 hampers. And I said, I think I can. And I called friends of mine. And there was a place downtown Toronto on Spadina, and it was just north of Bloor, and it was called the Silver Dollar, and it had been closed, and the city gave us a permit to open it up for one night to hold a concert called the Huron Carol, which was designed to raise money to allow us to buy food to give to Council Fire so that those hampers would be available to the folks that live in the projects. Okay, well, we didn't raise much money, but the people who helped us, people like you, uh, Luca, who chose to give us some airtime, created an awareness that the day after the show, which was on the 17th of December, there were cars and trucks lined up for blocks, as far as the eye could see, delivering food to Council Fire. So that was the start of the recognition that you could actually do something that satisfied your soul, that place in your heart, that light that you have inside. Everybody's got it. And when you find it, it has a profound effect on you. And it creates compassion and awareness of that, empathy, hope, faith, but mostly, it creates an awareness that love is more than a word. That you can have anything you want in the world if you change love to a verb. And that's what we did. I mean, right now, we, there's a huge need. There's, there's a need for a vaccine. Right On one side, we're flanked with, with a disease, with a virus. And on the other side, we're flanked with mental health. We need to do more than cure the disease. 
We need to create health. We need to teach people to dance, to read, to laugh, and to love. And if we can do that, it's a social prescription that will help us control our own health. And it renews this thing that we grew up with, which is the Christmas spirit. It renews the opportunity for us to realize that the gift is in the giving. You never know the value of the gift. Um, Tom, are you going to run for prime minister? Because my vote is for Tom Jackson. I'm I'm putting it out there. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let me just answer the question. No. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, what can I say? Here on Carol, it's it's in Toronto. It's going to be uh, December fifteenth, the sixteenth, in Ottawa on the twentieth of December, um, and yeah, at, at these these events specifically. So it's a Sketch Working Arts Canadian Senior Artist Resource Network in Toronto, and then the House of Lazarus for Ottawa. Um, can you tell the folks about? Uh, you know, I guess the changes going online this year, doing, setting it up in a more virtual, in a purely virtual style, uh, but what folks in Toronto and Ottawa should be looking forward to. You know, all of a sudden we had to rethink who we are. We had to rethink how we do things. And early in the year, Alice and my wife, my darling wife, um, and I say my darling wife, and let me tell you why, because she fell in love with a drug addict. Can you imagine what kind of fortitude this woman has? We call her Wonder Woman, and she is that. So I just want want you to know I have this wonderful angel that is with me all the time. We've been isolated since March the 3rd. We live in the country, and it's wonderful. And our neighbors are, are deer and coyotes and moose and squirrels. <laughs> oh, there's another one. Well, I can't talk now. I've got to watch the squirrel. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> we realized that if we were going to do the Huron Carol, that we had to do it virtually. So we went to a soundstage where we could make sure that we were COVID-sensitive and all the protocols in place. And we recorded a version of the concert. So now we can send the concert and customize it to all of the organizations, the social service agencies that we work with. And that's women's shelters, recovery centers for, for, for people who are in trouble, food banks, the Red Cross, a, a, a whole phone book. Do we still have phone books? Well, I still have a phone book. A phone book of angels that help others. And that's how it came about. And hit up huroncarol.ca for more information. I do have to ask this question uh, because my, as a, you know, as a person growing up in this country, um, watching PBS, watching all sorts of TV, my first interaction with Tom Jackson was on Shining Time Station. And I got to ask, what was it like working with the late, great George Carlin? We never did anything on the screen together. Right. But whenever we were together, I was on the ground laughing. (laughs) He, you know, 
he's not like you think he is. He's not, I mean, he is, he is everything you think he is. And then he's something else. Um, and that was, you know, a real a source of health. I talked about that briefly for a second. Laughter is the best medicine in the history of the human race. The last time that you laughed 200 times in a day, you were probably two years old. Probably. And now maybe you laugh twice, three, four, five, but not 200. So we probably need to fix our funny bones. It's probably a little rusty. We need to laugh a lot more and find people that make us laugh and, you know, people we can make laugh, all that kind of things. It's just a, it's a wonderful thing. Anyway, George Carlin was uh, that guy in my world. I love it. This, uh, I would say a Canadian legend, a lifelong collaborate, co- collaborator of yours, um, a story uh, about the great Kansas City Dave Kramer. He had, this is how we met. Um, my mom and dad used to be uh, folks that would work two jobs. Uh, you know, just, they got so used to it. Even if they, even when they didn't need to, they'd work two jobs. And one of the two jobs that they had at one point in time was uh, being the maintenance, after hours maintenance people, janitors, if you will, at the Furby Street United Church in the basement. And Kansas City Dave Kramer, uh, who's actually not from Kansas City, he's from Milwaukee. But Kansas City Dave Kramer um, used to be the choir director. And he met my mom and dad. And my mom and dad said, you know, you should go and track down our son or son sings in a band. And uh, you, you could, you could be in the band. <laughs> so we were the band at that time was probably 10 people. No, it was 11 people. We had 11 people in our band. Can you imagine that? 11 people. This would be 1974. Whoever has a band with 11 players and singers. And we were playing, at a place called the Manor Hotel in, on Portage, now on Higgins and Maine, downtown Winnipeg. And it's a, you know, earthy kind of part of town. Anyway, we were playing there and Dave came in and he introduced himself. And uh, we had 11 people on the stage. And so we, you know, we looked at each other and said, well, you know, we got an extra mic. What's one more person? What's 12? So he got up on the stage and he started playing. And every time we played, he showed up. So we eventually, well, we were only making about $500 a week anyway. So, you know, breaking that up by 11, $25. I don't know what it was. But either way, uh, one day, um, I never really, you know, with that many players, you don't, I don't really pick everything out. And one day we were, scheduled to play the Winnipeg Folk Festival and the bus broke down. And the only person at the festival at the time was me and Dave. And I said, do you want to do this? Because our time to play came up. Well, when I heard him play uh, this, and this is the first time I really heard him play. 
um, that was the last gig with the band. Dave and I hit the road. And we were on the road for a good five years, I think. Anyway, Dave Kramer. And we never had much in common but music. That was the other thing. We'd go places. I'd go find the pool hall. He'd go to the library. And you guys were big uh, Simon and Garfunkel fans. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Tom, so grateful for the conversation. For folks out there, again, hit up hereoncarol.ca. Is there anything else you want to let the folks know? Anyone you want to shout out who deserves the love? There's only one thing that I'd like to say, and you should know this. Uh, that's that we we can't do what we do without you. It's important for you to know that the dream doesn't work if it doesn't have teamwork. And you're as important part of this dream as anybody out there. So for that, you have to understand that not just for you, but for your audience, that I love we love you too, Tom. So grateful. Tom Jackson, the big guy. It's Action Tom Jackson Day. Hit up HuronCarroll.ca. Uh, and, yeah, big thanks to Kathy Zaboken and Andrew St. Germain. And we'll see you next time on Moment of Truth. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.